Okay, here we are today with Tony Pantadosi, my old friend from Los Angeles. Tony, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you, Tim? Doing pretty good. I'm really excited about Oscars gambling. I They started posting the odds a few weeks ago on FanDuel and DraftKings specifically, and I'm located in Massachusetts. The other sports books in Massachusetts do not have the Oscars as an option. So today we'll be talking about DraftKings odds. But if you're in one of the states that allows Oscars gambling, make sure to shop around because FanDuel actually has some better odds for some of these that we're going to be talking about today. And uh, if you're in a state that doesn't do that doesn't have either of them, I think you could work. You could try Bovada or my bookie. And I think you can bet on the Oscars that way. But I just found that no one, no, there was no advice out there on gambling on the Oscars that I wanted to, that, that I could consume, other than like a couple of random articles from Variety, but really nothing in podcast form from like a real gambling angle. So I wanted to uh, get into that today. And I couldn't think of a better person to have this conversation with uh, than you, Tony, because I thought when I, when I grew up, I thought I was the best at the Oscar pools, Oscar parties until I met you. And <laughs> it, it, it but it wasn't even close. Like I was like, I was telling my, you know, like Kirshner and, and other people it's like, Oh, I'm, I feel like I'm really good at this. And they're like, Oh, well you haven't met Tony. And, and then, so we were at Oscar parties together and I swear to God, you're, you are very close to sweeping the slate. If you haven't actually swept one. I've never swept one completely. The best that I remember doing was the 2014 year, which was 12 Years a Slave, Gravity, Dallas Buyers Club. I did 21 of 23. I forget what I missed, but uh, I remember the following morning, the Wall Street Journal called me to get a quote because I'd won their pool because they only did... Yeah, they, they only did 18 of the 23 and I got in all of those 18 and... So I had a quote in the journal, Tim. So there you go. That, That's that was amazing. <laughs> wow, I didn't even know that. That's incredible. Um, so, so I guess just before we get going, like, what what is your background and how are you so good at this? Uh, I'm just kind of a movie nerd and an Oscar obsessive. Uh, I, I started basically watching in the '90s, like the Billy Crystal years, and really got into it in the '98 year for the '97 movies, which was, of course, the Titanic phenomenon, but also a lot of movies that I cared a lot about and, and remain in my like top 20 or 30 of all time, like Goodwill Hunting and LA Confidential. So that was the year that I like started really paying attention and started betting. In fact, I ran a pool like at my high school that year and pretty much every year since am putting some kind of money on the line for for the Oscars. 
Um, my, my professional background is that I, I moved from Boston to LA and worked on movie sets and uh, eventually found my way into acquisitions for a distribution company. And I've done that at a few companies, been doing that for about 10 years. So my professional life and, and my primary hobby is, is movies. And I spend a lot of time thinking about the Oscars. They really matter to me. Uh, even, you know, uh, people say, oh, they're, they're too long. And I wish it was six hours long. I, I watch <laughs> it usually the next day. I will watch it again and, and I'll just kind of go through the whole thing. But in particular, I like to watch the people uh, as they are losing and see who loses well and who loses poorly. And, you know, when they say the name, I look at all five little Brady Bunch squares and say like, oh, Angela Bassett's pretty upset. <laughs> it's like that. Uh, so I'm I'm very invested in it, and and I find a lot of entertainment in it. Good. Okay, this is great. Then I have a very specific question then, um, because we were going to record this on Friday before the SAG Awards, and as we uh, sit here, it's Sunday, February 25th, right now. So two weeks before the Oscars. Um, so plenty of time to to get some bets in. But last night, one of the I don't know if it was too big of an upset but in best actress category uh lily gladstone beat emma stone and i i thought emma stone's reaction was a little weird um almost like trying too hard she was very quick to like too many claps <laughs> i i will give emma stone the benefit of the doubt to being a nice person and, yeah. and she probably is happy for lily gladstone i do think she overdid it a little bit she you know <laughs> She she reacted almost as strongly as when Olivia Coleman won in in Best Actress for the Favorite years ago. But she was very enthusiastic clapping. But I I believe that Emma Stone's a nice person is truly happy for Lily Gladstone. Yeah, I, I believe that too. But yeah, she was ready. She was she was almost rehearsed was ready. On yeah, what to yeah. do if she if she didn't hear her name. Right. Um, she knows okay. that there are people like me who are rewinding and watching. <laughs> you know. Also, like when Bradley Cooper lost at the Globes, like he's aware of the Internet. He knows that his sad face became a meme. So right. he made sure he was smiling when they cut to him. <laughs> so then what was your favorite reaction from a, a loser of the Oscars? Uh, uh, ever. Yeah. Um, when Olivia Coleman won, you look at Glenn Close's face and Glenn Close's face, like you see her, she just kind of goes. <laughs> <laughs> like this, like you see her uh, adjusting the information in, in real time. And uh, that that to me, like, oh, man, I watched it a few times. It, it was great. I feel like I would have to rewatch these, but I feel like uh, Burt Reynolds was very upset when he lost Best Supporting Actor for yes. Boogie Nights. Burt Reynolds did this very slow clap <laughs> with a big, like, frown on his face. Yeah, now, like Burt Reynolds, A, I don't think he deserved it over Robin Williams. I, I think the uh, the bench monologue in Good Will Hunting, that's about as good a reason to give someone an Oscar as you can have. Uh, but also Burt Reynolds hated doing Boogie Nights. He, he resisted at every stage. He fought with PTA. You know, it, it, Burt Reynolds was an asshole. So, like, he did a great job in that movie. And yeah. it would have been a nice kind of coronation for him, but not against Robin Williams in that movie. But yes, he did the like this. It was good. Slow, angry clap. <laughs> okay, so in looking at some of these Oscar odds, Tony, it seems like most of these races are kind of decided. 
and uh, the the best example of this is is really Oppenheimer um, and the and the best picture category. So I think when I sent you these odds last week, Oppenheimer was minus twelve hundred or minus fourteen hundred to uh, to win best picture, which is pretty much overwhelming, a huge overwhelming favorite. So much so that you wouldn't even really bet it because you need, you know, you put twelve hundred to make one hundred on those kind of odds. But after the SAG Awards, they actually changed, and now it's minus twenty five hundred uh, for Oppenheimer to win Best Picture. So my first question is: Are there any underdogs here in the Best Picture category that you could see potentially beating Oppenheimer? Oppenheimer is going to win, so I, I would not bet on Best Picture this year. If if you choose to, um, looking at the odds that I see, they have four things at plus 1,600. They have the holdovers at plus 1,800. I would flip that. I think second place should be the holdovers. To explain Best Picture, like they use a preferential ballot. The, what that means is that in years past, when there were five nominees, each Academy member would get the ballot. It had five titles on it. You pick the one you want. Now, instead, you don't just pick the one you want. You have to list and rank the 10 in the order that you would rank them. And so what they then do is they take all the Oppenheimer ballots that have Oppenheimer at number one. They make a stack over here, you know, virtual stack, whatever. They take all the poor things ballots that have poor things number one. They put that right here. They take all the holdovers ones, blah, 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 blah. If one movie gets over 50%, it wins. The process is over. That's pretty unlikely that that will happen. You know, maybe Oppenheimer gets 48%. Very unlikely something gets 50% and, and just wins outright. So what then happens is they take the movie that got the least number one votes, the smallest stack, and whatever those people put as their number two then gets redistributed. So now you have nine stacks instead of, instead of 10 stacks. And basically then if that does not put a movie at over 50%, they go to the movie that was in ninth place. And what did those people put as number two? So let's say, you know, uh, last place this year, like ninth and 10th place are probably Maestro and Past Lives. All right. Those are probably the bottom two. So what you have to think about is the people who would put Maestro or Past Lives at number one, what is their number two? Now, for a lot of those people, it's going to be Oppenheimer. But the reason I would say holdovers as number two instead of four things is that no one dislikes the holdovers. There's yeah. people who love poor things. There's people that don't understand what poor things is doing at all. So what this preferential ballot does is it goes for the general consensus of what most people like instead of what some people absolutely love and some people hate. So if it's right. a divisive movie, it's less likely to win Best Picture. It should be something that most people are going to put in their two or three. Um, but Best Picture, like, we, we shouldn't spend too much time on it because it's going to be Oppenheimer. If you want to take a swing on something, I'd say the holdovers, but I do not recommend betting in that category this year. Okay. All right. Great to know. Um, very, very interesting about the process. Um, yeah, I was looking up a little bit of, of that too. And I guess you can still vote up until Tuesday, um, the 27th. So voting is still live. So even the voters would, you know, theoretically have been watching those SAG awards, um, on Saturday night and maybe swayed by something they saw there for, for all we know. Mm-hmm. 
and there's 10,000, about 10,000 voters. Um, so that's interesting in that it's a pretty small sample size uh, overall. It is a small sample size, but they have grown the academy significantly in the last few years. And that's been a direct reaction to the whole like Oscars so white controversy. It's gotten, you know, uh, it is still very white, still very, it's still old white men, like predominantly, but it used to be a lot more old white men in, you know, 2016, essentially, when they started to, um, you know, target a more diverse uh, body. And I think that shows in, in some of the uh, results. I mean, getting winners like Parasite uh, yeah. are pretty indicative of that. And also the fact that it is becoming a more international body. I think that's why you have a lot of, you know, zone of interest is five nominations. Like that indicates to me a an international body. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, that's interesting. So, so a little bit about the voters there. Um, all right. So the biggest, when I first looked at these odds, I really keyed in on the adapted screenplay race. And it was because I thought Oppenheimer was an absolute lock, even though the odds only had Oppenheimer at minus 115 favorite. So barely like a 51% favorite or something like that. It had Barbie and American Fiction at plus 275, so almost 3-1 to one, um, underdogs there. Would have been nice uh, bets if you placed a bet um, there. So on DraftKings, you can actually parlay uh, one of the Oscar results with a sports outcome. So a few weeks ago, I started parlaying <laughs> the Chiefs' money line, Chiefs to win the Super Bowl with Oppenheimer Best Adapted Screenplay. I've got about, I don't know, 10 or 15 tickets with like such random like Kansas Jayhawks money line and Oppenheimer Best uh, Adapted Screenplay. I've got Isaiah Pacheco rushing yards overs. Uh, so it's very, very uh, silly. Um, but I, I basically have about 150 bucks, I think, tied up in this race already, specifically on Oppenheimer. And I stand to win, I want to say, about 350 bucks if Oppenheimer wins this single category. So this one is a little bit emotional uh, for me already. Um, but what happened a couple of weeks ago at the BAFTAs, the, and this is like the British Film Awards, um, American Fiction won Best Adapted Screenplay at the BAFTAs. And so now the odds here on DraftKings and FanDuel changed. And so now American Fiction is the favorite at minus 125, and Oppenheimer is an underdog at, pl at uh, plus 150. Um, so I, I have very mixed emotions about this. I've, on one hand, I feel like I should be happy because I could go further in on Oppenheimer if I really feel like it's going to win. But another part of me says I should hedge with American fiction. But then if I hedge, like, what am I doing? I'm just trying to break even. I don't know. So I, I got to figure out my strategy there. But your thoughts on this category, Tony? Uh, this is the closest race uh, this year is okay. adapted screenplay i think it is a three-way race uh i would put barbie into the mix um there this was complicated by the fact that barbie was originally thought to be running in original and it was campaigned in original and the oh. academy deemed that it should be put into adapted um i don't know why exactly i guess you know it's adapted from an ip but whatever like it was running in original at the BAFTAs and really everywhere else. So this is the, the only time that's being put against American fiction Oppenheimer. 
and because Barbie was quote unquote snubbed in director, actress, other categories, there may be a swell of support behind it in this category to reward Greta Gerwig. And of course, Noah Baumbach is also nominated for the screenplay, but this may be where the, uh, you know, reactions to that quote unquote snub uh, represents itself. So if you're going to bet a long shot and adapt a screenplay, my recommendation would be Barbie. Um, but Oppenheimer and uh, American fiction, I think, have just as good of a chance. Oppenheimer, you know, 700 page book adapted into this script. And, you know, it, given that it is the juggernaut this year, you can't really go wrong picking Oppenheimer in most categories. But by the time people get to adapted screenplay on their ballot, they may feel like they've checked Oppenheimer too many times and they feel like spreading the love a little bit. And the screenplay categories are usually where you uh, award a movie that's going to lose everywhere else, but maybe should have been a real contender even for picture. You know, it's it's kind of the the cool kids category. This is where you give it to... Tarantino for Pulp Fiction or Sofia Coppola for Lost in Translation or Jordan Peele for Get Out, you know, some of the original for many of those, but uh, screenplay is the cool kids category. And right. I could see you know, American fiction is not going to win anything else. And so I could see this being where people choose to reward it. Um, and in fact, I think I will be putting American fiction for my selection. Um it is about a writer also, which I think does, you know, lend itself to to strength in this category if it's about the writing process. And the win at BAFTAs is significant because to cut to the chase, the BAFTAs are still pretty racist, more so than the Academy. For example, Denzel Washington has never even been nominated for a BAFTA. Let that sink in for a minute. Okay, so the fact that they gave it to American Fiction shows a surprising amount of strength for that movie. Um, and clearly, you know, getting the amount of nominations it did, it is a well-liked movie in the Academy. So I think this is the, you know, closest race in, in the entire year. Uh, and I think it is a three-way race that could go to any of those three. Um, but I, I think I will be putting American fiction. If you want to do like the... The bet, though, that has the best odds, plus 500 for Barbie, that's probably the bet I'd make. Yeah, yeah. that's that. Those odds have improved since the BAFTAs and definitely uh, something I may want to sprinkle just, just in case uh, something happens there. So four out of the last five Best Picture winners also won a screenplay award. Um, I think three of those four were in original, though. Mm-hmm. Also, this uh, Oppenheimer, th this book, this American Prometheus book, um, the the level of difficulty to adapt that into a uh, a movie, I feel like the greater level of difficulty in what Christopher Nolan did. Um, although I I would say Core Jefferson, who I guess wrote and directed American Fiction, or um, you know wrote the screenplay based on a 2001 book. I believe, which was not a, not a very well known book, as far as I know. So I think he he took more liberties in in creating that screenplay, which could could speak to his creativity. But he's also like a nope, like he, he came out of nowhere. This guy, Cord Jefferson, he was like a writer for Variety. 
Well, he has a lot of TV experience. Like he won yeah. an Emmy for Watchmen. Like he he's worked on a lot of big shows. And and so that's where he cut his teeth. Um, you know, it would be very cool if he won. Uh I, I think um, you know, Greta Gerwig, I, I think will have her chance for something else. And I think it would be for something more deserved. To speak to the like snub of Barbie, Barbie did not get snubbed for anything. Barbie got more nominations than it deserved to get. It shouldn't have as many as it has. I thought Barbie was a good movie. It's very clever. I'm glad it made a zillion dollars, but it is not an awards movie in a way that typically appeals to this Academy. And, you know, uh, people who, who comment on, oh, she didn't get nominated for director you know, first of all, the directors are a very small branch of the Academy and only the directors are voting for who gets nominated for director. Each oh, branch. Yeah. Each van, branch votes for who gets nominated in their category. Then once the nominations come out and the voting for the actual award happens, then everyone votes on the actual award. So if you're going to yell at the director at, you know, the Academy for not nominating Greta Gerwig for director, you should only be yelling at the directors and they're like 5% of the Academy. Right. Uh, and if you actually follow this stuff, like I do, you know, that she was replaced not by a man, but by a woman, by uh, Justine Trier, who did anatomy of a fall, which is a better movie than Barbie. <laughs> and, 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 and Greta Gerwig was nominated uh, before for, for Lady Bird, which is a better movie than Barbie. Like she's, yeah. So people need to relax. <laughs> Barbie helped Oppenheimer make more money than it had any right to make. And Oppenheimer helped Barbie get more nominations than it had any right to get. You know, and when it comes to Best Actress, the uh, replacement for Margot Robbie, if you follow this stuff, was Annette Bening. She's the one who snuck in. And Annette Bening is another Glenn Close where it's like, is this ever going to happen for her? Not this year. But... Uh, <laughs> Basically, uh, I, I'm sorry, I rambled. I forgot your question. Go back. Well, no, I think that was that was great addressing uh, address, addressing the Barbie snub. Um, and if if you know it got snubbed at all, um, I'm with you. I, I don't really think so. I think it's very very much the favorite for song and and production yeah. design things like that. And and I think that also you were you were talking about the adaptation of of American Prometheus versus Erasure. Um, you know, I think that Oppenheimer had the best script. I think it deserves to win. But at the same time, Oppenheimer is going to get so much love here, including, you know, Christopher Nolan's clearly going to win director, like doesn't need to win this as well. Uh, I, I think Oppenheimer deserves it, but I'm, I'm picking American fiction. Okay, wow. I got to figure out a hedging strategy. I think I'm with you now. <laughs> I, I think uh, I, you're still in a pretty good position. You have a good chance. Okay, good. Um, okay. Uh, now original screenplay is another one that's kind of up for grabs. Um, anatomy of a fall that you mentioned, uh, is a minus two twenty five favorite and the holdovers is in second at plus one sixty. Um, I think this could be a, a, a sneaky good bet on holdovers. It could be. Yeah. This one, I would call a two and a half way race where anatomy of a fall, I do think is going to win. But the holdovers is certainly in the mix. And I would even toss in past lives having a chance. I think that past lives is really going to get its due at the Spirit Awards, which are today, ah. uh, and be basically the, you know, the sweep through the Spirit Awards. And that's will be 
recognized is at that award show. Um, you know, for past lives, I think the the nominations are the wins essentially. Right. But I wouldn't completely rule it out, and that's at plus twelve hundred. Um, but to me, this is going to be anatomy of a fall. Um, you know, it it was overrepresented here in the nominations, and that to me is is where this is going. Um, the holdovers, great scripts, certainly strong in this category. I will note it is not Alexander Payne, and that does affect it a little bit. Like it is it is not him who actually wrote the script. And so some people may see that and say, oh, well, I thought this was going to go to Alexander Payne just because for some people, they they are snooty like that. And and they won't want to give it to David Hemison and they want to give it to Alexander Payne. But right. my guess is this is Anatomy of a Fall simply because of how well it was represented uh, across the board here. Yeah, it um, was nominated for Best Picture, but yet not Best Foreign Film, which I thought was was interesting so it, it was not eligible for foreign film at the time the voting occurred because each country picks one movie to submit you're only allowed to submit one movie per country and uh they picked a movie called the taste of things with julia binoche and they submitted that so anatomy of a fall was not even in contention for the international oscar nomination it would have won in a walk or we would have had a more interesting showdown between that zone of interest and now you know zone of interest that's maybe the biggest lock of the whole night for that to win um the reason being i think that when anatomy of a fall won the palm d'or at can the director justine trier made some political comments in her acceptance speech and i think she pissed off the french government and so i think that they did not submit it out of spite basically oh, wow yeah, no. And ironically, uh, I saw the taste of things and I actually prefer it to Anatomy of a Fall and The Zone of Interest. Um, okay. It's a movie that's really for old ladies that I should not like at all. And I thought it was really good. Um, this this is Zone of Interest in a walk for international. I mean, that's the biggest lock of, of the entire night. Okay. Um, okay. Now, what about actor and uh actress um it there's a decent race for actor um killian murphy and paul giamatti are really uh the final two killian murphy won at the sag awards last night and paul giamatti is uh now in second murphy's really now kind of an overwhelming favorite at minus 750 i think i want to say that's more like minus 400 on FanDuel, um so a little bit better um but paul giamatti plus 400 and these odds were much closer a couple weeks ago. In fact, these were were very close to even um, with, I think, Giamatti always being in second there. But uh, what are your thoughts on that race? Uh, actor and actress are both a two-way race and, and are still a two-way race. I will be picking Killian Murphy and Lily Gladstone because the, the sags are what I follow more than anything. Because, you know, Killian Murphy winning. First of all, no one who votes for the Globes votes for the Oscars. There's no overlap there. It, the Globes do help in your narrative and support the kind of concept of momentum and and the appearance of momentum in a campaign for someone. They also help in that if you give a good speech at the Globes and SAG and other precursors, that has an impact. If you win at the Globes and you give an awkward shitty speech they're like oh we we don't want to 
give this person the Oscar. We don't want to watch them do this again. It is that petty where people are like, who's going to give an emotional speech? Who's going to give an entertaining speech? You know, you throw Robert Downey Jr. up there and every time he's going to entertain the room, he's going to shift it a little bit to like compliment, but also backhanded compliment the Hollywood <laughs> press, say something about the Brits at the Baptist, say something about, you know, his fellow actors at the SAGs. Like they want that like show each time. And so um, Killian Murphy winning at the BAFTAs, I didn't take that to mean he was definitely going to win because he has a hometown advantage there. But the fact that he won at SAG, I take that to mean that he's going to win here. But I do not count Giamatti out. Um, I would rather Killian Murphy win because I really like Killian Murphy and I don't think he'll have another legit opportunity in his life to actually win maybe some nominations. Uh, it would be a greater crime to me if Giamatti never won an Oscar, but I think Giamatti will have another, you know, two or three legitimate chances. To me, the biggest snub in, in my lifetime was that he was not even nominated for Sideways. And so I'd be pretty happy either way, however this went. Uh, but I, I would prefer that Killian Murphy get it for this one simply because I think Paul Giamatti will have another two or three holdovers in his life. Um, in this category, though, like I would not count him out, though. So if you're looking to like make some money, you, you put it on Giamatti. I'd, I'd give him still a chance in this category. Uh, and with actress, given that Lily won at SAG, I'm going to put her. Uh, and Emma Stone, though, I would not count her out. It's still a possibility. There's a perception of that she is still young and won recently. Now, La La Land was, in fact, like, you know, a, a number of years ago, but it feels like less, kind of the, the time warp, time is a flat circle thing where it feels like it was closer than it actually was. Um, also, you know, no, uh, there's never been an indigenous winner. Definitely the Academy is is trying to show its woke credentials as well. So that's a factor to think about. Um, they are both certainly deserving. I will note that the Academy definitely likes poor things more than Killers of Flower Moon. The snub of Killers of Flower Moon in, in the adapted screenplay category, I think really demonstrates that more than anything. Killers is weak in this lineup. So people definitely prefer poor things in this voting body to Killers of Flower Moon. Um, and there's a lot more evident acting happening for Emma Stone than there is for Lily Gladstone. Like Lily Gladstone, it is a challenge to find the Oscar clip, you know, assuming they use clips. Like there, there's not a, it's a very subtle performance. It's a understated, understated yeah. performance, whereas Emma Stone is very outlandish and overstated. I'm picking Lily because she won SAG. That's, that's why I'll be putting her. Okay, excellent. Uh, so I'll again, draft yeah. Not nominated at the Baptist because racist. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. She, Lily Gladstone was great. I haven't seen Poor Things yet. Um, but yeah, Lily Gladstone's great, understated, and really just like authentic. Like she just you didn't think she was acting when I, I when I watched it. Like didn't didn't feel like there was any acting going on whatsoever. Um even uh, the, their odds are even. Emma Stone and Lily Gladstone, they're even at minus one twenty. On FanDuel, Lily Gladstone is still uh, in second in the odds, and I think you can get that at plus 100. So oh, get that at FanDuel. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, okay, good stuff. Um, supporting races seem like they're not even um, worth talking um, about. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you one thing. Like in, in one of the things I was doing, a tiebreaker was which speech will be the longest. And I put supporting actor thinking that Downey would go on. But I don't know. We'll, we'll see. He's actually been keeping it pretty tight. I might have yeah. screwed up. Yeah, last night he was he was pretty tight um, with his uh, with his speech. Uh, lot, yeah, a lot of problems with the uh, teleprompter. It seemed like at the SAG Awards. Yeah, well, <laughs> Netflix maybe. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, here's an interesting category: best visual effects. This has two at the top that are close to um, tied. Godzilla minus one is the leader. Minus 125, and the creator is plus 100. I think these odds might be flipped on FanDuel, but they're both really close to this. Um, the others don't really seem worth talking about. What is your What are your feelings on this category? I think that the best effects on screen were in the creator. However, Godzilla's budget was like $20 million, and it looks like 150. You know, it looks like something with the budget of, of a much bigger tentpole. So it's pretty impressive what they accomplished given the smaller resources that they had. I'm picking Godzilla because I think this is a, another kind of cool kid vote. I would compare this to 2016 when Ex Machina defeated Fury Road and Force Awakens. And that was a real surprise where it's like, well, clearly the effects are not better than Force Awakens and Fury Road. And Fury Road ran away with pretty much every other below-the-line Oscar that year. Uh, but I think for people that are just like, you know, this is a cool, trendy movie. It, it's got, like, a groundswell of support behind it. It's a cool kid vote. And so I'm putting Godzilla for that reason. It's the X Mac and the reason. Okay, good. And um, the creator, uh, you know, on the, on the flip side, doesn't seem to have too much buzz, but... It looks like the effects were were pretty impressive in that as well. They're they're really impressive. I think they are yeah. better. However, if you're looking at a ratio of how good they are versus how much money was spent, you know, Godzilla looks just about as good as like the, you know, Godzilla movie we're going to get in 2 months, yeah. but done for, you know, 10% of the budget. Wow. Okay. Um, production design appeared to have some uh some potential value there. Barbie at minus 165 and poor things at plus 110. Those two are the overwhelming favorites um, compared to the other movies that are nominated. But uh, what are your thoughts on this category? So production design and costumes are both a race between Barbie and poor things. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, the kind of swell of support, retaliation against the snub of Barbie and other categories may put Barbie in the, the victory position for both of these. Um, I think Poor Things deserves both, uh, more so than Barbie. And I, I think that there is an Academy snobbery towards Barbie that may prevent it from getting anything except song. Um, I'm going to split the difference, I think, here. And I'm going to say Barbie on production design and poor things for costumes. Um, and that may be a fool's errand, and I may change my mind by the time the day of the show comes around. But Barbie's production design was pretty cool with the, you know, the dream house and Barbie land and all that. 
it yeah. it was interesting and i i think it deserves to to win here potentially um when it comes to costumes though it's like i don't know you, like you look at the weird barbie kate mckinnon costume and it's like this is gonna win like give me a fucking break uh, <laughs> like pretty much every costume in four things is pretty impressive um right so if if either of those has a you know odds against it, you you'd be pretty safe betting for either one of those in a plus position in either of these categories, production design or costumes. Um I say it could go either way. And at this point I'm picking Barbie production design, poor things costumes. Okay, good take. Um, and Maestro uh, with Bradley Cooper looking old, and and that seems pretty impressive when you see him as the as the old guy first. It's like, oh wow, I didn't didn't even know that was Bradley Cooper. Um, but then yeah. there's Willem Dafoe and Poor Things, and uh, again, I haven't seen it yet, but that clip from the SAG Awards last night looks like the the makeup on his face looks amazing. Uh, so yeah, makeup and hairstyling. What are your thoughts here? Uh, I think that this is Maestro. Uh, you know, maybe look, Poor Things is definitely more well liked by the Academy than Maestro generally. So, you know, there is a given how much time I and and a lot of people and we are spending talking about this. It's kind of dismaying when you uh, hear from actual Academy members how little time they actually spend thinking about this. Like they they kind <laughs> of just put down the list. And they're like, yeah, all right, I, I like poor things, whatever. I don't like Maestro. I'm just checking poor things instead of considering the work. Uh, Maestro is clearly the best makeup. I mean, that is, to me, what Bradley Cooper will look like when he's like 75 years old. I think it's remarkable. I think that movie would have been a full letter grade better if there had been more old Bernstein in it. Uh, I was much more interested in in those sections. The guy who did that makeup, his name is Kazuhiro. He had basically retired, and it was Gary Oldman who brought him out of retirement for The Darkest Hour, the the Churchill movie, where he basically said, look, man, I'm not going to take this role unless you do it. Uh, otherwise, I think I'm going to look silly. Uh, and, and he won the makeup Oscar for that, for, for Darkest Hour. Uh, I think this is Maestro. Okay, good. Good info there. A little behind-the-scenes knowledge, too. That's great. Um, animated feature, Spider-Man is a favorite at minus 190. The Boy and the Heron um, is plus 125, and I, I think I saw Variety picked The Boy and the Heron, so I'm just wondering your thoughts on this race. This this is a close one. This is a close one. Um, for history here, the first Spider-Verse won, and uh, Miyazaki won for Spirited Away, you know, 20-something years ago. Um, I am going to pick Spider-Man. And I'm going to pick Spider-Man for the simple reason that I think everyone who liked Boy and the Heron liked Spider-Man. And I think only about half of the people who liked Spider-Man liked Boy and the Heron. So I think Spider-Verse basically is, is appealing to everyone. They They all appreciate what it is doing stylistically. And there's a very passionate group behind Boy and the Heron. But then I think there's another half of people who go, what the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> I don't think anyone watches Spider-Verse and says, what the fuck did I just watch? Who loved Boy and the Heron? You know, uh, also, I think, you know, Miyazaki has unretired so many times now that I think it weakens this movie's chances where... The Wind Rises was supposed to be his retirement, his last movie. Then he says, all right, I'm doing this one more. 
And so we could be like, all right, let's 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 give him this. It's going to be the last one. But now in the press tour for Boy and the Heron, he and his producers are like, actually, we're working on another one. So this is not the let's give him another Oscar before he dies opportunity that would strengthen its chances. So this is tight. And if you want to put money on Boy and the Heron, it would be smart to do so. It is still very much in this race. Um, but I'm picking Spider-Verse simply because no one dislikes Spider-Verse. And, and with Heron, it's more like, love it or what the fuck was that? Gotcha. Um, yeah, I did. You have to remember out... how, many, how many idiots are in the Academy <laughs> also. And also how many people just don't watch the movies, which is the most dismaying thing. Like a lot of these movies aren't seen. And so I'm guessing that a lot of people who are voting in this category just didn't see Boy and the Heron, even though it wow. kicked ass at the box office. I mean, that's a movie that should have made like eight million, and it made like forty. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. So, how many? What, what are the percentage of voters that just don't watch? In your opinion, I'd say most just don't really? watch. <laughs> <laughs> that's not. I mean. It, I think that shows itself more in the nominations. Like, even though it's exciting that a bunch of movies get like 13 or 11 nominations, that also means that people aren't watching a lot of the movies, which is sad, you know, and and, and uh, frustrating for those of us who aren't voting when the people who are voting, you know, they, they're probably voting on Best Picture having seen eight out of the 10, you know, and in these other categories, having seen far fewer. So... You know, never, uh, never overestimate the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. <laughs> okay, good, good advice. Uh, all right, and the final category we got here uh, to talk about today is best sound, and Oppenheimer is a minus two fifty favorite, um, but possibly not enough. But Zone of Interest is second at plus one seventy five, and I think in that same Variety article they took zone of interest. Um, when I looked at these odds, I was thinking, well, Oppenheimer's about a bomb. They, it, yes, there's a ton of talking in the movie, but like, you know, I would think the sound in that one could run away with, with an award like this. Um, what are your thoughts on this one? I think the sound was the most interesting thing about zone of interest. The, like the churning kind of factory noises, the distant, like snap of a gunshot, the distant screams, all that kind of stuff. Like the fact that they don't take you into Auschwitz, but you hear it and you right. hear all that evilness going on while someone just watering their garden. I think maybe the strongest thing about the movie. So I get why uh, Variety would guess that and why it would be ranked here in second place. And I think it would be a good bet to do. But Remember what I said about do not overestimate the Academy. I, I, I don't know that general Academy is going to make that kind of have that thought that I just conveyed to you about about the the use of sound and zone of interest and how integral it was. I think they're going to go down the list here and go, yeah, Oppenheim, big movie and made, you know, almost a billion dollars and it was about a bomb and blah, blah, blah. Oh, they like cut out the sound when the bomb went off. That's clever. And it is. But <laughs> they're like, that's clever. I'm checking this box. So I'm picking Oppenheimer. I think most people are going to pick Oppenheimer. Zone of interest is winning foreign film. And and that's, you know, to most people going to be where that movie gets its reward. Okay. However, if, if you bet on it here at plus 175, 
has a chance, but I think it's Oppenheimer. Yeah, the pretty decent odds there. Well, I guess that explains why I didn't wake up um, when the bomb went off in Oppenheimer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not, not that it was boring. It was just watching at home on Peacock. And, uh, you know, yeah. I, have, I have to watch a movie that's three hours long in uh, several sittings uh, at this yeah. point in my life. <laughs> Well, Tony, this has been a a great uh, conversation here today. I hope we're we're helping out the listeners. Hopefully, they're uh, they're looking at this slate and seeing some value. Um, I appreciate it. What are you gonna do with with your bet? Are you gonna place some bets online or in an Oscar pool, or how are you gonna gamble on this? I do a variety of things. Uh, I will place some bets for actual money. And then I'll, I have a lot of just like online ones I participate in that are really just for bragging rights. You know, some have little prizes. I'm in the uh, Ultra Movie Fantasy League and doing pretty well on that. Um, and then just, you know, the people I watch it with will probably just be a, a bar tab. Uh, but I, I, uh, I watch it with bated breath, man, and and I am very excited. I think that, you know, this year, even though it seems like Oppenheimer is just going to steamroll a lot of these, there's a number of categories, you know, both screenplay categories and both lead acting categories are up in the air to some extent. And uh, that that creates, I think, uh, a, a nice bit of suspense going into it because last year, you know, I liked everything everywhere, but the fact that it, it won so many it was kind of a boring show because of that um you know you start hearing the same victory music from the score over and over again where people are standing up it's like all right let's let's give it to something else <laughs> absolutely well uh thank you very much for joining us here today and uh, i hope you enjoy the show and uh yeah i hope, I hope everyone wins some money thank you and good luck everyone thanks for inviting me too